vous vous épuiserez à mort avec nous. Welcome to another bonus episode of Kill James Bond. I'm Alice Gordor-Kelly, joined as always by my friends Abigail Thorne and Devon. Hey. And we got a guest! We got ML Kajera on. Hello! Uh, author, published in The Nation, LA Review of Books, too qualified for this podcast. Yeah, we were saying before <laughs> we started, ML, you're the most legit guest we've ever had. Like, why are you here? Because <laughs> Devon's my friend, and when a friend asks you on a pod, it's kind to, you know, just hop on. And yeah. more when a friend asks you yeah, on a pod, sure. you say, no, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> you say, yeah, sure. And then you never get around yeah, to it. Yeah. But- this is trash. <laughs> this is for hogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a long time listener. Like I, I, I love James Bond. Uh, listeners, I'm, I'm an African. I'm from the Gambia, uh, a country that shouldn't exist, but uh, the British had other ideas. Sorry Much about like that. Britain, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of one of his lesser known operations. Uh, but but we brought you on because Devon picked a good film for us to watch for a change. Yes, this. Well, I didn't even really pick this. This was introduced to me by ML, and I went, "Holy shit, oh, this yeah. is so good! We need to talk about this on Kill James Bond." However, <laughs> it would be completely impossible to do this without a guest that knows what's up. So things being as they are, they all just sort of knitted together. Yeah, absolutely. We 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 watched Jean-Luc Albolo's Salon, uh, which is how how do we describe this movie going into it? Uh, he, the, he he builds it as a southern, like a global southwestern, right? Yes, exactly. I thought it was a very odd direction for the OSS Sandyset franchise to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they made an OSS Sandyset movie, like the third one, set in Africa, which is I oh I have some thoughts about that movie. Where, where in Africa um, is it set? The, I I Just think it's meant to be like <laughs> oh. <laughs> like a, a thinly fictionalized Congo. I oh, believe. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. No. So so yeah. We watched we watched Salome, which this I came to this through because everything is cable now, right? So you have to pay for little Amazon Prime sub subscriptions with ads. I got this through Amazon Prime's Shudder thing, which is for horror, and I immediately felt. Like a, a bit aggrieved by this because first of all, like that's vastly limiting the distribution it's going to get, and second of all, it like limits your expectations going in. Um, because this this is I would place this movie in in a similar sort of thing as like High Plains Drifter or a much worse movie, which I also am probably going to talk about in the course of this episode, Bone Tomahawk. In being, it's like a western, but it's got horror elements at the same time. So the, and if you go into it from, this is the horror channel, you know? Yeah, which is fascinating because the, the director, Rebilo, uh, and the producer, Pamela Job, they were talking about, they don't, see, they don't see it as a horror. To them, it's a terror, which is just a little uh, detailed mm. difference that I found fascinating because, um, not to spoil too much for the listeners, but the, 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 there are spirits in the film. And the spirits themselves aren't, are protective spirits in the real actual belief of the people there uh, so it's it would feel a bit odd to call them a horrific thing where it's like the terror you have for mm. deities for spirits kind of like that um it wasn't an amc show where it's about a british exploratory group in the the, the terror or something 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's and that is obviously about indigenous belief too, and like the creature that is based off indigenous belief. So it, it kind of made sense to me of like that's why this is called a terror because there is something there is a little for sure you're feeling like awe, I guess. Exactly. So we 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 begin with um, a, a little narration which tells us that revenge is like a river, a river whose bottom was reached only when we drown. Uh, which is nice, sets up things nicely, and then mm, hardcore. Yeah, we go to Bissau in Guinea-Bissau, south of Senegal and the Gambia, where there has been a coup d'état. We are informed uh, the military is therefore cracking down on drug traffickers, and the result is a pile of bodies through which we see three pairs of shoes proceed in time. This movie loves shoes, <laughs> yeah. which I really the, like about the it. The direction in this bit, like with the shaky cam, is so good. Right? Yeah. And the way the uh, music syncs up with their steps, especially, I thought, I, I, I actually started dancing when I first saw this, when, they were, when the, the song that yeah, played that was, was really a cool good. Choice. I, yeah, the song yeah, is Malembe. It's the bit where like, I, I kind of sat back in my chair and I was like, oh, this is going to be an actual good film. What a change. I only ever get to see bad films for this podcast. Um, but yeah, so we, we see three mercenaries wearing actually really cool sort of like capes, like ponchos. Yeah, like rain ponchos. Um, yeah. They've, they've already killed everyone there. Um, and they are distributing these like death cards. It's like a pack of playing cards with a hyena motif on the back. Hard, hard as all um, and we see one of them insanely <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, always, see... I'm always doing this I'm always leaving kill James Bond cards on my victims oh yeah absolutely uh, and, and we see one of them uh, like blow powder into the face of a soldier and knock him unconscious and we're like immediately setting up okay these guys are cool they're deadly also one of them is magic <laughs> great um, and they, they they kick in the door and they capture although as we later see rescue a drug trafficker uh, along with a case full of gold bars. Also, the case um, has a has a spectre octopus on it, which is quite yeah. Cool. Yes, it does. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a scene from Tarantino, where just uh, looking at the gold and the director Avilo lists Tarantino as one of his influences when he was younger. Of like specifically of I could I saw that people who weren't rich could make films, which is like I, I guess that's part of Tarantino's backstory, right? Like he's a bit of an underdog figure. In yeah, for sure. World. This this did make me think of Tarantino, but in kind of a, a different way. In that I saw the influence, right? Um, but I also thought this is exactly the kind of movie that Tarantino likes to steal from. Yeah, and I just I just had a sort of a vision of. Uh, you know, some British or American director ripping off this sequence, executing it worse, and then in the course of being interviewed by like Total Film or whatever, goes, yeah, it's actually like um uh, an homage to this Senegalese film called Saloum, and everybody sucks him off about how like well read and like widely yeah. travelled oh, he yeah. is. Um, You've been looking because at my th plans for philosophy tube again, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I I genuinely think that there are things that 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 Abula does with this that are like better than what Tarantino would have done. There's a bit before they kick in the door to rescue this guy, where like the music cuts out that I think Tarantino would not have done. I think Tarantino would have kept that going through, and I think it would have been a weaker movie. Yeah, the, the audio direction in this thing, I'm not a uh... 
there's a lot, there's a lot of innovation. Like I'm not sure uh, Erbilo or Job are the first to do it ever, but there's so much done in the film that's just like blew my mind and and felt refreshing and while still connected to like African cultural cinema practices. Like there's a lot that just goes straight back to Sam Ben. Like the thing you talked about with the the playing with the audio, Sam Ben does that in his films too. There's there's a scene later that uh, where someone screams and it's a, a flute plays and it's this beautiful thing. And Sam Ben does th- stuff like that. Uh, Sam Ben Usman is a phenomenal uh, French, uh, uh, sorry Senegalese francophone director who. Yeah, I I noticed that too actually, and one of the things that struck me. Uh, about because so, there's a couple of times where this happens where like a character screams or cries and it's like replaced by a, a musical sting and it seems sort of it stuck out to me because it seemed like something from a different era of movie making yeah. something that like I've seen in movies from like sort of the 70s maybe no exactly and it was yeah. like it was strange but like it was compelling to see it again yeah but so so we we see our mercenaries who we are told are called Bangui's hyenas Bangui Bangui who have rescued Bangi, excuse me. I'm gonna fuck. Look, I apologize in advance because I'm gonna fuck up every single point where I can fuck up in this. Uh, <laughs> but so, so we see them. They they rescue this this drug trafficker Felix, who is to me kind of one of the weaker characters in the yeah. movie. Yeah, he doesn't get to do much. Definitely. Yeah. No, he's he's actually just you know like in a unusual uh, white majority cast. There's one black guy, and regardless of the actor's skills, he's just not going to do much. And it's like this is a ninety percent Senegalese production. This is what it feels like. <laughs> Bad yeah, that's for actually sure. deeply funny because there's like there are like maybe four white people in this film, and they're used so rudely as well, which I like. I yeah, really enjoy. Yeah, and it's like. No, it's uh, it will get into it later, but like it's it is a bit of a satire. Like there's a satirical element of not just the Western genre, but th- the Western approach to Africans in film, right? And like mm. quite, we get quite a few jokes off of that, and it starts off with Felix and just <laughs> the way he's treated. They get Felix in the plane. Uh, Felix is immediately sort of ambiently furious uh, and threatening all of them. And then uh, this is this scene kind of to me. It, it, part of the reason for this is that he's the weakest actor in the fucking plane, right? Um, but they get him in the plane, and there's a fuel leak. Um, they're trying to fly north to to Senegal. Um, but with the fuel leak, they'll never make it as far as Dakar, which is where they've been paid to deliver Felix to, to rescue him for the cartel. Um, and so they're forced to land. Well, first, Felix is kind of um, being a bit of a dick to them, and the, the magic one, Papa Midnight, or Papa Minui, uh, just like blows magic powder in his face and just totally knocks him out, um, which is insanely cool. Also, like his, I just want to talk about like the look of Papa Minui, who has like uh, white dreadlocks and like a white beard. He just looks insanely cool. He looks like a cool wizard. It's just all the character design. Yeah. And I think the the way that you talk about the character design, that's probably because Erbilo was a, he wanted to be a comics artist at one point, a graphic designer. And that can, you can kind of see that through the, like the fashion in the film. It's because he's also, uh, he was a music video producer at one point and, um, He's just into fashion. And, like, the aesthetic of the film is just so on point. Like, I love most aspects of it, but the aesthetic is what brought me in, because it's just, like, if you keep up with uh, 
West African fashion trends and see how that relates to like other aspects of our, of other cultural aspects of our art. And it's just such a beautiful marriage where like, of course, like, of course, these mercenaries are the most fashionable people on the fucking continent. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Ra- Rafa, the pilot, has Versace shoes. He does, and yeah. he, like, accidentally <laughs> gets the buckle off, and it's it's so good, man. Yeah, it's great, because they're, they're forced to make a landing in, in southern Senegal, in the Salon. Uh, and the first thing we see, we're, we're kind of we miss it misses having a landing scene. But on the other hand, I don't want it to do the sort of like um, um, without remorse thing, where you like re- use all the budget on that yeah, yeah. and nothing else. Um, but so, but we 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 get on the ground, and the first thing we see is our pilot Rafa, one third of the hyenas, buffing his Versace loafers, and he he like knocks the buckle off of them, and the line the line is great. I think it translates well enough that I just want to put it in as a drop. He's so good. He's so <laughs> cool. It's so good. It's he specifically says, uh, like, holy shit, those Ghanaians messed up my Versace. <laughs> it's yeah, and it's it's great. Rafa, Rafa is it, it, we immediately see his role in 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 the Heinz. We're now introduced to the second of three of them. He's the big guy, he's the yeah. muscles, he's the enforcer. He's the tech. Um, again, we know me, we know Devon, <laughs> we know that the second Rafa stepped mm, on screen, I pointed straight at it and I started reciting for like Adam Levine sex. I was like, holy shit, I'm now obsessed <laughs> with you. Your body is yeah. absurd. Oh god. He's so cool. Cause again, it's this little pops of colour that, that they use because it's um he's got this like bleached beard and he's wearing these like red yeah. sunglasses. It's just it's phenomenal yeah, character design. They're all insanely cool looking mm-hmm. motherfuckers. Yeah. yeah. And, and 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 he he goes off with the the third hyena, the leader Shaka, who Shaka. is the brains, the brains. Uh, Monsieur Servo, right? Yeah. He's he's the one with the plan, and his plan is to immediately bury the case full of gold <laughs> uh, with the coordinates, and then he knows somewhere he knows he knows a, a camp that they can get to. They traverse. Yeah, he's got an Airbnb in the back pocket. He knows where to go. Oh yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. But before they go, they they figure out. Um, that the fuel line was breached not by a bullet as they were taking off like they thought, but actually it's a mm. knife. Somebody has sabotaged them. Um, yes. So they have to walk uh, eight hours through the desert to this camp because they want to get resin to patch it up and fuel for the plane. And they just walk eight hours through the desert or run carrying Felix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, their initial assumption is that Felix has betrayed them mm. and like he has paid a team to to take them out and then rescue him so that he doesn't have to pay them the gold or something I mean, like I that. I salute their courage. If somebody told me you have to walk eight hours through the Senegalese desert carrying a Mexican man, I'd be like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die now. <laughs> yeah. so just sit, sit down, down and just lie down. <laughs> I'm not going to ruin my Versace any further, actually. Right? I'm just going to sit down and accept the end. <laughs> like he swaps to some sensible trainers for the journey and then changes mm. back into the Versace when you get there. Classic. No, exactly. that's, actually, that's what I did. It's a fascinating little moment because it opens into one of the first uh, major themes of the or motifs of the film, which is that hiding things leads to paranoia and more tension. Right? That we know that of the mm. four people in the scene, uh, uh, Felix, Rafa, Papamini, Ushaka, one of them is hiding something because this was an inside job that's that fucked up. So 
that causes that that introduces us to the one of the the themes of mm. I was a little yeah. bit disappointed that we don't come back to the gold case um I, right? I yeah. thought that like I thought then the final act of the film was going to be like a race to get back to it or like it's not going to be there or somebody else moves it I was like okay right. this is our valuable thing but it, we I just have, kind of never see this again I have some confusing issues about the ending but we'll get to that but then in this scene i did you i did you pick up on the this is just like oh it's a look it's a good like location uh a series of location shots but this is like just the quintessential shots from westerns where our heroes are riding on their horses through the desert and you've got yes. the horsey clip clopity music shit going on in the background, you know? And I, 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 I thought this was part of the, <laughs> the parody of the film where it's like, there are no fucking horses here. Poor Rafa. Yeah, they're just running. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. There's a great shot where they like sort of crawl to like the yeah. crest of a hill yeah. where, you, where like in, in your Western, they would like find a bunch of horses tied up and it's a boat. It's a canoe, uh, which they, which they steal. And, they get on the river and go to yeah but before before they can get on the boat chaka is afraid of the water he he will not get on that boat unless he gets knocked out by manui if 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 we're sort of like working on a theory that there's this is a group of three people of whom one is very very large very muscular one of whom is you know nominally the smart one but perhaps sort of in over his head a little bit, suffers from weird travel anxiety. <laughs> Keeps trying uh, to join the police. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, there's some parallels and the, the here. The third one is, um, does that mean I'm magic somehow? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess so. so I guess by default, must I must be magic. I kind of like this. Mm. But so he he has Minwin knock him out, the same as Felix, to put him in the, in the canoe. Um... Which is, there's two things that I like about this that I want to draw out. First of all is, when when he does this, it's in the background of the scene. He falls over in the background. The foreground of the scene is Rafa talking to a guy about the boat. And the guy looks over Rafa's shoulder to see Shaka has just collapsed. Yeah. And Rafa grabs his chin right? and is like, hey, hey, look at me right? instead. <laughs> it's really, it's such a great little so character good. moment. Yeah. It's really seductive and charming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second thing is the the camera work on this is once he's unconscious and once they put him in the boat, there is. A, I'm a sucker for this. I have mentioned this in the last two <laughs> movies we talked about. But if you suspend a camera over an actor's head to convey someone being kind of like out of their own body, I always go, "That's really good. I yeah. should talk about that on the podcast." No, that's cinema right there. That's it's just it, it's Mino to me. That's cinema. Yes. Every frame. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, oh my God. So, so they, they wake, they wake Shaka and, and uh, Felix up at the far end of the journey where they've gotten to this place that Shaka knows about. And we get to introduce probably one of my favorite genders, which is innkeeper who is slightly off-putting. Yes. I, yeah. I love this type of guy in absolutely anything. Uh, we we meet the proprietor of a camp called the Baobab. Yeah. Uh, called yeah, and Chuck is Omar. like, don't worry, I know yeah. the proprietor, and then greets Omar by name. And I was like, I do I know you? I've got a photographic memory. Yeah. I don't quite recall. And he's like, it was a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
sort of it, it's not it's not the most subtle piece of foreshadowing, but I really like the, it. The too. film does not do subtlety. In fact, in this this like uh, <laughs> no. for for uh, particularly West Africans, this scene just that the fact that the camp is called Baobab, uh, which is a, a tree that's uh, found in lots of places in Africa, but in many West African places, it's the place where the community leaders and the other community meet to discuss problems. It's meant to be a peaceful place, a place of gathering. And that kind of just sets up that, that we have these mercenaries coming in here. And then we have this shifty fucking innkeeper that just sets up the, mm. the larger stakes that are, that we know are coming, you know? Oh, so it's like an ironic name. Yeah. You'd recognize that. As an and, and it also sets up the fact that cool. we actually do see baobab trees later. And there's also interesting things done with mm. their meaning in larger West African culture. Mm. So all, all of the, all of the caverns are full and, and Shaka just immediately gives me the nod, <laughs> like go uh, like arrange <laughs> something about sick. the whites. And he goes, all right, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put my creepiest guy on this. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just sort of like skulks into the back of the scene, and in the next scene we see like some of the uh, some of the visitors just screaming yeah. in terror and fleeing and for these, their these lives. These background characters that are scared out of it are some of the only white people in the film, and I think yeah. that cannot yeah. be not a specific choice. It's just like. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's so, it's so, so good. I mean, Omar comes back and he's like, it seems two cabins have become available. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. I love Omar's uh, delivery of, like, just, I just love his delivery of almost everything. But, like, he's just mm. such a obviously shady guy, but, like, he, he's still charming you, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, and it's, it's I love it. It's it's really sinister, and he he kind of he plays with uh, with Rafa a little bit by getting him to, to to drink in the bar, and then telling him, explaining the sort of like the vibe of the camp, which is you don't pay. Let's just say you don't pay with money. Yeah, uh, but you, you and then the light immediately comes back up, and he's like, "No, you just pay with work. It's normal. It's normal here. Actually, you just do some chores. You pay <laughs> what you feel like you you owe us, but." Everyone has some chores to do per day to keep the camp running. Like it's a nice little arrangement, mm-hmm. but he waits until Rafa's had a yeah. drink and is tells him what the price for yeah. a drink is, and Rafa is so mad about it immediately. Really, really good. So we have this, we have this Faustian character. Uh, we have the Faustian character of Omar, and I, I need. I thought it was important to mention that one of the first lines that comes out of his mouth when he's welcoming our trio is that is he quotes Dante's Inferno. He says, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> yeah, I've got to be honest. Yeah, that was an odd if choice, I rolled yeah. up to a locale and the first thing the guy who ran it said was, abandon all hope, ye who enter here, I would be like, you know what? There's probably another one down the so road. Turning around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To a different locale, yeah. right? Right? <laughs> Like he he fucking Castlevanias them and they're like okay no this is fine we we this is we, we, we. <laughs> well to be fair they are the scariest motherfuckers that they know so that's that's true if the, if that the is three true. of us rocked up to that's a, a local and somebody said that I'd be like well we are the scariest and best dressed people in five hundred miles uh yeah let's do it yeah. plus plus. Shaka is like kind of keeping secrets about about this, and and Rafa and Minwi that night try and sort of like puzzle out what's going on. Um, to which Minwi can only sort of divine that there is a malign, a malign, malign presence. Like he says, there is an eye on us, 
um, and that that Shaka is hiding something. He won't say what, but he is he's here for a reason, and he's preparing to do something terrible. Um, which great, perfect stakes. Yeah, no less than like two times. Benoit leans into Chaka and goes, "You are hiding something, and it's going to get us killed." And Chaka's like, "Ah, come on!" Just cracks on what he was doing. You're like, buddy. Yeah. So, so we we have to go to dinner. Yeah, which, we get to meet the rest uh, we, of the cast. When we introduce, oh. I love yeah. the this scene. The this cast. scene's like this scene's like a play. It's a perfect. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the best scenes. Both in the, the dinner movie. table scenes are fucking phenomenal. Yes, yes. So first of all, we we meet uh we meet Omar's he calls him his, his left arm. His his right hand, I guess, would be your your English idiom. Salaman. And this is great because another one of my favorite genders, the weird off-putting guy's second weirder, more off-putting <laughs> right? guy. The Torgo to his Manos. Uh, it's it's perfect. I love I love a henchman. And so Salaman is is making the food and he's also kind of hesitant and nervous and a little bit servile um, around the other guests. And it's like, hmm, interesting. And, Wonder what's and going specifically, Salaman, uh, the other guests speak in French, but Salaman is the only one who consistently speaks in Wolof, right? Which is the, the a language, mm. non-colonial language spoken in, one of the many non-colonial languages spoken in Senegal, which I thought was an interesting choice. Mm. So we meet we meet the other people staying there. We have a couple who well an ex couple who are fighting but are still working together. Uh, this would be Yunus and Sephora, uh, and they're uh, I'm not sure, yeah artists, yeah, collaborators. Artists, I, I think Yunus gets called a comedian later, but I'm not sure if that's a that's derogatory. I think yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a rapper, and he, he sort of dresses in such yeah. a manner. And him being a rapper comes back later on. And the actor who uh, the actor who plays him, who I believe is called uh, his name is is Kanabas. His name is Kanabas. He's a Senegalese musician. And we also have Awa, who has been staring <laughs> daggers at everyone, but specifically Shaka, from the second he sets foot in the camp. I fucking love Awa, oh, and so I love. Good. I love the way this scene is like, let's all sit down to dinner and like, you expect it's going to be like, let's very slowly build the tension. But instead it immediately fucking ratchets up the tension because Awa is deaf and mute and only speaks sign language, um, but we are given subtitles. Uh, and Chaka and Rafa also speak sign language. And Awa immediately lets them know, I know who you are. Your Bangui is I'm on to you. Like, fuck you. Either take me with you when you leave or I will tell everyone here. Um, it's so fucking good. It's really, it's really, really good. And we, we have this whole conversation because Rafa mentions, he quotes Thomas Sankara, which I really like. He, he, he quotes him two units. And I like this because it establishes something about Rafa that I think develops later on. There's another point where I want to draw this out, that I think Rafa has sort of a, a quiet backstory as a disillusioned revolutionary. That's what I thought uh, too. Because he, 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 like, he references Sankara in a way that is purely ironic um and i should also point out the cover that they set up here the way that shaka goes into this interaction is uh we are gold miners with our mexican investment partner <laughs> who have come north on vacation this is the least credible thing you could possibly say and the great thing about it is they've kind of 
unthinkingly because he's he's the brains. He's the guy who has the plan. They've gone into this interaction with, okay, we've got to stay undercover at this camp for three days, get the fuel, get the resin, get out. Who do we want in charge of this? Do we want the guy who is very good at intimidating people, the guy who's magic, or Earth's worst liar? Just <laughs> Easy choice as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Send Chaka right on in there, baby. <laughs> Everything Chaka says is like sort of barely restrained irony, and yeah. it just gets less and less plausible. Uh, like at one point, Omar says, "Gold miners who speak sign language and who uh, quote Sankara <laughs> localized entirely within <laughs> <Yeah>. my camp." <laughs> yeah, everyone okay. kind of knows they're full of shit at this point, but they haven't figured out in yes. what flavor specifically they're full of shit. <laughs> And and Chaka's actor, uh, Jan Gael, who's like great actor, but he he can't really hide what's going on, right? In within his heart, he just mm-hmm. like you. It's very obvious that he's like. There's a scene where there's a bit where he they ask him, "Why are you always fucking wearing gloves?" And he's like, "Oh, I like to keep my fucking hands clean." And it's like, it's just a weird <laughs> it's scene. Like, it's <laughs> awkward. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like. Okay, my guy. This is like a very shifty guy. And then Rafa makes the pussy leg gesture. Mm. Yeah, he he like sexually harasses Awa Awa. because he's, you know, he's a pig. Uh, And and what's great is having thus ratcheted up the tension, we got to turn it up another notch because we got to introduce another late coming guest. And this is this is Omar's friend, Suleiman. And Suleiman is, he introduces himself as, you know, as Captain Suleiman. And, and <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Chaka's sort of like trying to probe a little bit. It's like, well, okay, captain of what? And he's like, please. And you kind of, you kind of know immediately, as does everyone around that table, that everyone has made everyone else. Like, yeah. Yeah. Everyone's fully like, there are multiple <laughs> points throughout this where like Rafa will just like glance over at Minuim and he'll just shake his head imperceptibly. Just to be like, no, we know they're on to us, just give it another minute. Just, just. And also the, the captain, he comes in and he plays it, he's like, I'm here on a very special mission. To relax! Pulls out two right? beer bottles. He, like two, yeah, he, he, he literally, two giant beer yeah, bottles. He hides beer bottles behind his back like he's got guns or something, and he's like, ta-da! Yeah. And it's, and it's yeah. fucking amazing. <laughs> I'm with the CIA, chilling. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> o- Omar, Omar calls him a professional drinker, too. Yeah. Which, and and we, we see him drinking the rest of the time until shit gets real, which you can kind of like intuit some things about the professional reputation of the police in Dakar where he's yeah. come from maybe. <laughs> yeah they suck they fucking suck shit they're horrible <laughs> <laughs> but so uh yeah d- we we have a sort of a nice meal nothing happens ostensibly and yet sort of under the surface you know everyone's fucking thinking about like what everyone yeah, else it's, is it's, doing if this were a less subtle movie everyone would be like holding guns under the table and we'd see that <laughs> but it's just sort of implied they do that with their eyes yeah like our gets up to leave and immediately chaka also gets up and it's like you're not even trying to not be suspicious here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he he threatens her, and she is insistent. You know, take take me with you. And then after dinner, we get 
possibly my favorite sort of sight gag in the movie. It's it's kind of it's not a movie with a lot of comedy in it, but our next shot is Rafa doing the dishes in the big white washing up gloves and totally shirtless. And it's great. It's like this this tough guy who doesn't want to get like uh like washing up liquid on his hands. Um and something moves outside the bar. And we see yeah. him sort of like follow this and he he brings some his machete with him. Another thing is, um, all, all of the outside yeah. shots are handheld throughout this part, and it even, mm-hmm. it really exactly. sells it. It really sells it. Oh, I, I actually missed the because you see some just bizarre shadowy creatures in one of the shots where Rafa is cleaning, and I actually missed that the first time I watched it. It's done so quickly and sneakily. Mm. You, they they do another thing in this in this scene specifically and they start doing it a lot later on which is that they are lighting the lighting rafa with a lot of different colors at all times yeah it's like a really stark yellow yeah. at this point it's like the emer- the lighting from the bar and there's a um, green one later and, and there's a red one it's just it's it's always so good goddamn video assist and the colored lights on the lighting it with <laughs> sexual lighting non-stop yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which which is like uh which is a which is a trend in in like films with black people where it I noticed it first in the 2010s where during nighttime scenes they just start lighting our skin with different colors cuz it it pops better than trying to recreate natural lighting and it ties into what um There's the, a lot of it in moonlight too. Exa- mm. Exactly. And uh Eva DuVernay talks about it a lot the Sierra Leonean filmmaker uh Nekiatu Jusu talks about it of like it's a uh, film is entertainment and it's everyone deserves to see themselves look beautiful and that's a thing where like a lot of nighttime shots mm. like even even in some ben's filming right like he tends to avoid nighttime shots just because they didn't have a lot of the technology to do this like he does a lot of day for night stuff he'll uh just illuminate people's faces black people's faces in certain frames in, and then it just kind of looks weird and then you have this mm. just it's such a simple fix of just let's try lighting them like they're not fucking white people. And <laughs> it, it works so, so well. Much it more. pops so hard. Yeah, yeah it really exactly. does. And you, you can really dig into this. You can, you can get into like the history of how color film stock was developed to work with skin tones and how that was an explicitly racist project of like, well, we're going to normalize this for light skin tones. Um, and you know, the, how, how that's sort of been gradually overcome. Um, uh, but so the next morning, we see Minui tell Shaka, "Hey, Rafa didn't didn't come back last night," and we're immediately like, "Oh, God, this shit. is such yeah, a good this is they, 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 They've got him. They've they've got his ass. And then they, <laughs> but but Omar has called a meeting to assign chores. They go to the meeting. Rafa just sort of like stumbles in with the clear implication that he has been with Sephira all night. He is just sort of like he has. He's been spooked. He just wandered off to yeah. just go and get fucking late. Yeah, it's right? really funny actually. And they're like, and they, and they Shaka tells him off, and he's like, "You said to relax." Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Look, we're here for resin, fuel, and relaxation. I don't see any resin fuel, so I'm relaxing." <laughs> That's just so good. But he he gives Shaka the ultimatum. Yeah. He's like, "Look, Awa wasn't the last to arrive. It was the cop. So we can assume that they both know." who we are and there's only one seat on the plane so who has to die um and during this mm-hmm. the shot is perfectly framed with our and the cops faces 
and they're between the two of them talking to each other, and it's just it's fucking gorgeous, is what it is. Incidentally, the the line that Rafa has here, that this also goes into my little revolutionary thing, is because uh, Omar is talking about the chores and about his sort of principles of everyone does a little bit of work and he's handing them all out. Uh, and Rafa just says, by way of passing, yeah, we should do this before the old man resurrects Biafra. <laughs> right? And it's like, yeah, what's that all about? Biafra, Biafra was... Uh, <laughs> was a separatist region of I'm gonna really embarrass myself if I'm wrong about this, Nigeria. Yeah, it's Nigeria. Uh, which precipitated uh <laughs> <laughs> little, like correct noise from Price is Right or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> just edit that in. Um yeah, but that that precipitated a civil war, but it was kind of a like utopian project initially. And the fact that that's what Rafa chooses to reference is mm. it's such a oh, yeah, it, it's such a, like, disappointed revolutionary thing. Uh, like, you know, uh, to, to make a better world by force of arms is impossible, therefore I'm doing this, uh, you uh, know? Specifically um, because Biafra ended up with uh, the genocide of the Igbo people by the larger Nigerian government. Mm-hmm. That's that's what Biafra was. It's not explicitly an Igbo state, but it was a state... Uh, run by a bunch of Igbo people who wanted to be separate from the Nigerian government because the Nigerian government is awful and has it has just literally been mm. a series of military dictatorships and with some periods of democracy. Like it's just, it's not that distinct from a lot of uh, oh, yeah. West African uh, nations' histories, but Nigeria specifically is is just this old other gigantic military force. Not to mention all the European involvement oh, yeah. in the Civil yeah. War as well. But so 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 we assign the tasks and Rafa is going with our to uh count birds, because there's a bird sanctuary. Uh uh and that's the first thing that we that we follow. And they have this conversation in sign language where she once again she immediately makes him. She's like, You are one of the hyenas. Um I, I've I've heard of you. I've heard of everything you've done. Take me with you, or oh, it's else. So it's so good and... that like all of the exposition in the early film comes through our. Like it's such a. Yeah, it's so 100%. so so good. Because the night before, we had seen her with her uh, one of the like the hyenas calling cards. Actually, like the... yeah, yeah, she has one of them. Yeah, and mm, and like yeah, you, yeah. you get the sense that like in the boat in the conversation they have while they're looking for birds. You get the sense that she looks up to these hyenas. Like she keeps up with all the exploits. She refers to them as heroes. And which is fascinating because the director and the producer were talking about they wanted to make a film that showed that Africa could have heroes, but they didn't want to make a mm. heroic film. Like they weren't obviously trying to replicate the MCU or anything. It's just the heroes from like Yeah, for sure. Like Westerns. They're complicated characters, but there is some wrestling with morality within the character, you know? Well, the th- the thing that I really like about this is that Rafa denies this. He 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 says he he says why do you want to why do you want to run away with the devil? And she laughs at him. and She says you devils, which is great because it a implies there's way worse shit out there. But b I love I love this thing from westerns of like I am a good guy at heart. I have done many good things. I will absolutely deny it, and I will flee from any kind of positive reputation. Uh, it's really good, is the thing. So th- they have that conversation. Meanwhile, 
Uh, oh, it's Minwe important has to note to like, that uh, in the conversation mm. they have, they list a bunch of uh, places that the hyenas have had influence on in their mercenary mission throughout life. At, yes, Sierra Leone. They they cleared the RUF out of Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone out of Freetown. They, I think they the mentioned the the Celica in the Central African Republic, which is actually a very tiny moment, but it, it ties into larger Senegalese film because the Celica, the term for the coalition in the Central African Republic that uh, resulted in war, that didn't pop up until 2012. And this film is set in 2003. And that to me was like uh, mm. uh, a reference to like Semben Usman's own uh, anachronistic films, where he'll just skip forward a few centuries just to just like for um, emotional resonance within a scene. Like, and I thought that was a little play. Yeah. And sort of the, you, your hero like exists a little bit outside of time. Exactly, exactly, because th- they're heroes. They're like that's what a hero is, like uh, someone who can keep popping up again and again in conflicts throughout Africa like these guys do, but across time too. And especially every conflict like that Link. our... Ma- mm. Exactly. Yeah. And also kind of <laughs> like, like Link. Mad Max. And, <laughs> yeah. But like, but like Link being a child soldier, technically, every conflict that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He is. I mean, we don't talk enough about the, about the Great Deku Tree's child soldier program. Yeah. Perfect segue, man. <laughs> Fucking phenomenal. <laughs> Every conflict <laughs> that they mention <laughs> involves child soldiers, which uh, becomes important later to the scene, to the film, I mean. So. Yeah, a, a theme, another theme drops onto the movie. Um, so at, at this point, we have to go on our, our second and third chores. We see Minwi uh, go with uh, with Salomon to drop off some aid to a village, which like, helps sustain the camp. And... In a, another one of my favorite little things, Creepy Village. Love Creepy uh, Village. Every building has a big R spray painted on it. Not prominently enough that you'll notice it on the first watch, probably, but it's there. I didn't even see um, that. That's and so the good. little hey. yeah, yeah. It's on. It's on every building. As is uh, a, a graffito of like a guy with an old timey revolver. Um, I think he's actually literally wearing a cowboy hat in it too. Uh, but so. He, so 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 Minwi delivers this aid, and it's weird. The it's picked up by some some young men who they describe as the wrestlers, and they all have like I'm not sure if it's what missing an ear looks like or if it's just been sort of like mutilated in yeah. some way. But like, like, it looks like, like it's scarification. burnt shut. Yeah, yeah, burnt shut almost. Right? Yeah, 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 burnt yeah, yeah. shut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's important to note that yes, they go to a village, but. The village is specified as a Jola village, and um, the Jola are indigenous to West Africa, but specifically are believed to be, among another few groups, some of the first people to uh, be in the region. Like, it's uh, we'll discuss this later, but it's difficult to apply indigeneity to Africa outside the context of white people, because like when you don't have just a bunch of annoying people coming and being like, this is our land and they're from fucking Europe. It's, it's hard to know, uh, especially when most of our, a lot of our history is oral history. Uh, but the Jola, like it's, it's important to note that the Jola are, were some of the first people here. Cause that kind of ties into yet another of the film's themes that were introduced to later. So we have that, we go to the village, we see that it's creepy. That's, that's that. You get, you get another lovely uh, shot. Of of the wrestlers before they pick mm. these up when they're when they're first displayed they're staring directly into the camera 
which mm-hmm. yeah it's just weird vibes and then the, the film creates weird vibes in a very yeah good it sets way. you slightly on edge mm-hmm. because you're just trying to watch a movie and suddenly they're looking straight at you and you're like wait hold on hold on i'm yeah. not part of this buddy so it does put you a little <laughs> bit on edge and i thought the the interaction with the crowds right like that's a common thing yes across Simba and usman's films but honestly just across a bunch of african cinema i've seen especially in the more modern bit of it like with jusu with uh the the director of i am not a witch and a few other uh modern african mm. films where there's just this interaction with the crowd with Semben, it goes back to the fact that he learned how to make films from the soviets and he was just like a lot of uh, africans just a communist oh it's so fucking eisenstein <laughs> of course it is <laughs> and like they're drawing from that they're drawing from that tradition of, of crowd work of the, the literal masses and having them interact <laughs> with the incredible yeah. so yeah so so shaka goes with omar to to take care of the fishes of the delta um which is we don't know what this is yet. We know that they're up to some shit, and it's going to require the use of BB guns. Um, and what this what this transpires to be is the only other group of white That's people right, in the movie. The last These two, very very sort of like clownish looking jerk Vanderklerk types, loading dynamite onto a boat because they're going to go up river and fish with it, and fish with explosives, and fuck the ecosystem. Um, and so. In order to protect it, Omar has inveigled Shaka into literally just shooting at them with BB guns until they flee in terror, which we don't see. We see them sight sight them up with the guns, and then we don't actually see the actual sort of moment of it happening, only them walking back afterwards. Um, And it's a sort of... I, I, I don't know how I feel about it. It's it's played for comedy, and it kind of like... It's a jarring shift in tone, is the thing. It also um, makes me questions something that happens later in the film. So without spoiling mm. it, we see later shortly, in fact, that Chaka has some historic beef with Omar. And I'm like, okay, why did you not... Oh, beyond beef. Why did beyond you not bring beef. this up yeah. when you had him alone? Well, that's the that's a beautiful thing for me of like, when you when you said the word play there, right? Like, this remind, this, mm. this, is a, this is a part of the fact that Jean-Luc Herbilo is a fucking gamer. The only uh, <laughs> <laughs> the only pieces of media he acknowledges as a direct influence were the video games he was playing when the when he was when they were producing the film, which were Red Dead Redemption and one of the Metal Gears from the. 2017, I thought I was going fucking crazy. I genuinely, I was like, do I talk about Metal Gear? I'm, I'm imagining that this is like uh, heavily inspired by Metal Gear Solid 5. I'm crazy, right? There's no way. It would be insulting to even bring that into the compact. I was like, no, it just is. Right, yeah, Great. No, like <laughs> these are like what the what happens with these uh tasks that Omar gives out is these are side missions. Like, for fuck's sake, it's, genuinely, yeah. It's a bit, it, yeah. It's a bit incongruous. And we're with back the rest to Child Soldier Link again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But so, 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 so they're walking back together afterwards, and, uh, y- you know, they talk to each other, and they both acknowledge each other as former soldiers. Uh, and they have this sort of like, oh, you know, where, where, where did you fight conversation? 
I had to get a stone out of a big fish's belly and then take it to a castle. It was a nightmare. <laughs> what side quests have you yeah. done? Uh, and you know they they each talk about different wars, all of all of which again are sort of notorious for the use of child soldiers. Exactly. But we don't like unless you know that offhand. This conversation seems more sort of like placid than it is. And um, he 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 asks him. He asks Omar, okay, well, I need fuel, I need resin, sort of dropping the pretense of being gold miners at this point. Uh, I, I need those, can you, help, can you help me get them? And Omar says, sure, of course I can. Um, we now go to our final task, which is replanting mangrove swamps. And this is, this is what Felix and Suleiman uh, yeah. are doing. And the thing about Suleiman is that he's a fucking badass. He's fucking one of my favorite characters in this movie. He's he he, he, so he, he goes full sort of like seventies cop mode in that the second they're out of that camp, he 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 goes to Felipe and just like claps him on the shoulder and goes, "By the way." The cartel has put a price on your head. You have to work with me or you are going to get killed. My guys are waiting to arrest all of the hyenas. And if you don't help me, then you you know, I'm gonna let them kill you. And then he leaves him literally like squatting in a mangrove swamp with a mangrove seedling in his hand. Mm. Just like it's really, Yeah. Very well played. Halfway through Suleiman's speech as well, like Felix has been like smoking the entire time, and a cigarette just falls out of his mouth. It's really, really good. Like it's such a a moment of now you're so made, brother. You have been fucking made from the moment I saw you. Anyway, plant your fucking seedlings. There's a lovely bit here where uh, Felix is talking about. Oh, he uses the Spanish word for mangrove, and he's like, "We have these back in Mexico," and. I think that scene was included because Gebelo um, uh, lists uh, Alejandro Inarritu as one of his major influences as, as like he watched an Inarritu mm. film and was like, I need to become a fucking director. And it's like that connection there of like, uh, obviously the, the Western genre does have some, in, some influence with, uh, is influenced somewhat by Mexican culture of the, of the same time period and whatnot. And then you have it mm. brought back into just... Th- this little personal uh, love letter to Mexican cinema that uh, every little inc- includes, where it's just like oh, we're kind of the same, you see, and it's it's just a little fun <laughs> moment that that warmed my heart. It's really nice, yeah. yeah. So 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 we come back to the camp where everyone has now had their little yeah, side, had quest. Their side quest. And, and the first so- thing that happens is Minway walks up to Minway walks up to Chakra and goes. You are hiding something, cunt. You're gonna get us killed. We should leave now. Everything is fucked here. Yes. And Shark is like, ah, let's just sit down for dinner. What's the worst that's gonna happen? Yeah. yeah. We're just, uh, I'll handle it. Just have dinner. Meanwhile, Sullivan literally has one hand on the back of Felix's neck. <laughs> like, yeah, he's he's fine. He's just gonna sit with me for a bit. Um, <laughs> Shaka excuses himself. He goes to visit our who makes a horrible mistake by opening the door to yeah. him and immediately gets jumped and tied up. Right. Okay, and we see her we we see okay, I don't I don't I don't want to skip ahead too far, but like we see her cutting the the zip tie later that that he that he binds her with later and it's like it's just not that thick a zip tie and she has to have been in there for the entire dinner scene and like it takes her way too long 
It's 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 ridiculous. It's like how- I don't know. Those those flex caps are kind of tough. Uh, you got to have the like she has the, a, the tool for them. But she anyway. has a tiny blade. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, but with her out of the way, everybody comes for dinner, and I was like, "Huh, well, it's it's weird. Our isn't joining us, but you know, no one no one's a prisoner here because <laughs> you know irony." Uh, <laughs> and at, at this point, the mask kind of like really is like almost off. Uh, Shaka like gets through about two minutes of conversation, looking into Omar's face from one end of the table to the other, and then he goes, "Yeah, it used to be w- it, se- it used to be way bigger when I was here. This camp, uh, and also you know, it used to be sort of way way more frightening." Um, Back when I was here as a child, this is such a soldier. perfect monologue, man. It's so good. He he, like he doesn't even say "child soldier." Ultimately, like he's just like no. He like looks over to the side and goes, "Wasn't that like a lean two earlier on against that? It was corrugated. It was the wind was coming through. Mm. You know, the the days here are so hot, but the nights can be glacial." This long, long speech, and the entire time you can see Omar's going. Uh, ah, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I may I've have made, made a mistake here. <laughs> a mistake, an error, and it um, is revealed that uh, Omar was was the commander in charge of these child soldiers that uh, that Chaka used to be one of, and he escaped. He did have a nom de guerre, and and that nom de guerre was Colonel Remington, because he carried on the battlefield a very heavy. Very shiny, very large caliber. Remington New Model Army revolver. Pearl plated as well, gorgeous. Mm. Yes, it is a beautiful uh, gun. It's nickel plated and, and pearl. That's grips. what I meant. Yeah. And uh, yeah, which which Shaka has because as we've sort of seen fleetingly in like little visions, whenever he's unconscious or asleep, he escaped and he he took it and he like fled into the river mm. with this with this pistol. And midway through the speech, um, he takes his gloves off to reveal that he has those R's that are like yeah. burned into yeah. his like branded, branded onto, onto his... the backs of both hands. And then Chaka yeah. gets up and just starts. He fucking just opens fire, bro. <laughs> like he, at, the, <laughs> yeah. at the end of his speech, it is clear that there is there is no response that can be given at this point other than to die. Uh, so he just starts fucking mm-hmm. firing. Just, just absolutely unloading into yeah. his lad, but, and then like everything's slows down. It's in perfect chaos. Everyone is trying to hide, um, and it keeps getting. I'd be oh, interested to learn a little bit about kind of the way they did the firearms tech on this because hmm. I don't know whether it's just the actor convincingly portraying it, but it seems that when he fires the Remington, it has a kick to it, and I'm, I guess that must just be him acting that because. If it was blanks, which yeah, it would be, it would not no have a kick. way you could put... Um, yeah, absolutely. I think he just acts that really well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, it's a it's a heavy gun. It's got some real sort of, like, inertia to it. So that's that's some physical acting you're doing. Um, is, it, is it a but, gun... Are those types yeah. of guns, like, still in use? It looks like an old-timey... It looked like a, out of a Western to me, you know? Like, I wouldn't be surprised... Yeah, you, can get, you can get reproductions of them an old one would be very 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 like valuable and fragile mm. it's it's there because it like it, it's thematic and it looks cool i i don't think it's really plausible okay um, yeah that, that that was my question yeah yeah so there's a number of things yeah throughout the first of all throughout the entire speech it's like a long speech it's perfectly acted we get shots of 
everyone around the table slowly coming to the realization at the same time. Like the moment he starts talking, Minui puts his head in his hands. Rafa, Rafa is like he he's upset to begin with, but like the second the gun comes out, he Rafa starts immediately considering how he's going to disarm Suleiman. Puts him in, yeah, and he does. Which so. he does, yeah. And, and throughout the shots where Shaka is shooting Omar, it keeps cutting back and forth between the two actors in present, the the adult actor and the current Omar, and the child actor and a much younger Omar. It's just it's. Phenomenally it's effective. really fucking good. Um, we learned that, that Shaka was the one who sabotaged the plane. He wanted to come here all along. Um, and yep. also the cop is like, well, I'd said, well, Lupin, you're the, the base is surrounded. And Shaka's like, actually, I bribed your mates with the gold. They're not coming. Um, get yeah. fucked. Um, and then the <laughs> film the, the, drives really elegant off thing. Okay, yeah. right be- Wait, right before that, right before that. Yes, before we get mad at Abby. <laughs> I think it's important to note that um, when we when the scene where uh, Shaka shoots uh, Omar and they're switching between young Shaka, old Shaka, younger Omar, old Omar, and at one point, young young Shaka gives the gun to Omar and Omar places it within his mouth. And like that, that's a huge symbol right there because the the film, as we'll learn later, makes a lot of parallels between Shaka and the man who abused him, Omar. And it, it's it's kind of like a cautionary tale for Chaka of like you shouldn't have become like this, and that that we we learn more about that later. Okay, Abby, uh, please go ahead. <laughs> it really does be, feel be like white. every time I, I bring a movie, part of the episode is to turn to Abby and go, "You didn't like this enough, fuck you." But <laughs> yes, but, why, why why turning big spotlights on my friend? Why why are you wrong about? <laughs> but no, this? it is completely reasonable if you went in blind. Yeah, I, I went into completely blind to this film, and and because it's made by a culture that I, I know nothing about, um, I also did not pick up on any of the ways in which this was telegraphed. But now, now there are spirits. Mm-hmm. The, well, as as Salaman in his sort of like uh, sort of attendant creep role helpfully informs them uh, as they are sort of like forced into the the hut with our by uh, a sort of huge overcasting of of like what seemed to be like flies and smoke and debris uh and salaman immediately does the creepy laughing ah what you've done there is you've made an error um (laughs) the theme of this movie is uh, is... if you take revenge you will die it is is now time for you to die uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. But the thing is, right? I, I thought I knew what the 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 like moral lesson of this film was going to mm-hmm. be, right? Which was uh, these these are bad men. They have gone to a, a place that is sacred and protected, and the first thing they've done is bury a shitload of drug money in it. Uh, they they are now shortly going to be punished for their crimes, and that lasted until about the conversation between Rafa and Awa, where we're like. Oh wait a second, maybe so they are kind of good guys, but it's it's more complicated than that because it's more political than that. Now we get to the point where Salomon tells them, "You've just killed the only barrier between these hostile spirits and us." And it, it, to me, again, this is sort of politics by stealth, right? Like every authoritarian in history has always ruled with the idea of like 
it's only me, only I can hold down this sort of this chaos that is always under the surface. And the second I'm gone, anarchy is going to be loosed upon the world. And they've conducted a kind of like spiritual coup d'etat here. Um, in, I think, much the same way as the coup d'etat in Bissau that starts out the movie. But Well, I've got to say, I missed all of that. And, and my interpretation of the film up to this point was like, these guys are sick. Uh, dudes rock. Um, revenge, revenge is cool because this, because like Omar was like, I had child soldiers, and then and then they killed him, and I was like, cool, good. This was an unambiguously good thing to do. You should do that. I, I did also, I did also write down. To be fair, I would watch about a couple of dozen prequel oh, movies yeah. about the hyenas yeah. just doing. I their thought thing. the rest of the movie uh, was going to be them doing a fighting retreat to the gold, fighting the cops all the way back. I was like, cool, that's oh. great, like cool action movie. Finishing this because I didn't get any of the spiritual like foreshadowing at all. Didn't get any of that. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly, this just kind of came out of nowhere and I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's just also like, are we supposed to feel that it is bad to kill Omar? I'm like, I don't feel that it's I, bad to take revenge. Let, 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 let me explain you the moral valence of this, right? Because there's, there's a sort of, there is a, what I think is a storytelling weakness in the film, which is they get in the hut and they go, Salaman, explain what the deal is with this. And Salaman explains what the deal is with this. And the deal is that the the Salum used to be inhabited by a people called the Bainuks. There was a land mm -hmm. deal in which they gave up their land and betrayed their king, and they beheaded their king. And in the course of doing that, their king cursed the land forever. And that's, I think, that this is a sort of often unfamiliar approach to curses outside of the classical sphere in Western narratives, mm -hmm. right? Of, it doesn't matter if you're doing the right thing or if you're a good person. If the curse is there, it's fucking there. Like, it, yeah, it exactly. being sort of like... Uh, like, changed by your goodwill or your, your pureness of heart. Yeah, maybe, I guess, but you still got to confront it because it's a very real thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's something something that has like materially changed the character of the land. And, and thematically, when you tie it to like the idea of, okay, w this is a curse uh, that we got as a result of previous conflict, right? Like, and you have to remember that the director yes, yeah. quite literally grew up in the Republic of the Congo, uh, not the one that was Zaire, but Congo Brazzaville. And he like witnessed war on a firsthand level. It's not that surprising to me that he would interpret curses and all that to be to to a pacifist message. Essentially, that's what the that's what the film is about. Of like, we're not meant to actually be violent. It's not great. At least I I thought that's what the director was trying to go for. Of that mm. that like, can we can we talk about indigeneity at this point? Right as well. So that's because the, that's the. That's a fascinating aspect of that because, like, uh, the Bainuk are also, like, the Jula are also supposed, believed to be some of the earliest inhabitants of Senegal. And they were pushed out by Mandinka and Serer expansion into the region hundreds of years ago. And Chaka actually says when, uh, when Salaman is explaining to them about, oh, the, the Bainuk are here and the king's curse is living and the king is still in power, Chaka actually says, no, the Serer dominate. Uh, uh, Salum now, and it's which is I thought the director commenting a little bit on the fact that um, Senegal's first president, who was a great poet, for example, but uh, a little too fond of the French for a lot of uh, Senegalese people, but also just 
people who don't like colonialism. Uh, uh, Senghor, Le- Leopold Senghor is from the is is a Serer from the Salum region. Yeah, and and like this this idea of like you. Your, your modern country is built on land that has been taken from people, land that, like, in, a, in an American context, in a Western context, and I'm hesitant to translate this directly, but I do think there are parallels that you can draw out with the way that Westerns treat Native Americans. In particular, the idea that, like, th- these are people who have been wronged, who are capable of spiritual vengeance upon you, uh, is... Like that—that's a feature. Like Native American curses and stuff. But even like in the more physical sphere, and this is where I want to talk about a, a much worse movie, which I think in the group chat we have dubbed White Salem, <laughs> Bone Tomahawk. So upset to be hearing about Bone Tomahawk again. <laughs> I've never seen bone, it. Bo- <laughs> bone Tomahawk. The, the <sighs> deal with Bone Tomahawk is that uh, Kurt Russell is a sheriff and uh, a, a tribe of Native Americans who have been kicked off of their land have become mutant cannibals, and they oh try to eat God. Kurt Russell. It's fucking, it's fucking terrible. Bone Tomahawk is one of those movies where it's, it's, when you talk about it, you're essentially just talking about, full caps, the scene, and the scene in Bone Tomahawk is where the chief of this tribe cuts a dude in half, like, lengthwise, dick first, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just... Yeah, it's yes, all it fucking there, and it's like, man, I don't need to see this right now. I'm having a nice <laughs> Mo- evening. Moving to a much lower form of art than yeah. than Salem, yeah, yeah, hot dog style, no, just chops him right in half with a tomahawk. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so Salaman explains what the deal is, which is, uh, yeah, the spirits they're going to take your senses one by one. That you're safe in the huts because they're repelled by electric light. However, if you're going out there, you need hearing protection. We we get we get the sort of the arming yourself scene from Commando. But one thing I do like is that it is Minwe takes a sort of very central role here, and it's explicitly as important to like spiritually arm yourself as literally. Um, the director specifically calls um, Minui uh, a black magic witcher because, again, he's a fucking gamer. And like, oh, I he does that, have the witcher hair. For fuck's yeah, sake, we're gonna, we gonna stop, stop gamers from making movies. No, this no, this movie's really good. On. We should keep them doing it. See, like, just this guy, though. I, I like. I keep thinking of. Wait, this is you're just loading up on like potions and shit. Like, I've I've done this. I've like I've. I'm doing- yeah, applying oils to your sword. It's got a fairy in a bottle. Things yeah. of this nature. <laughs> yeah, R- Rafa like Rafa like forgives uh, Shaka for like being a dick, and like he apologizes for the you know the the suffering that he's been through. And yeah, uh, they, I love that. Mo- they yeah. hug. Yeah, they oh like God. reaffirm yes. their friendship, which I thought was lovely. Just really nice. Like because obviously these are people who have been together for fucking years fighting so mm-hmm. to hear that like their leader had, had suffered like this they're mad at him for betraying them in in the way of like making them unwitting parts of this but they also completely understand of it like all right we we're now in this situation together and we will get out of it together and they say, and they as much. say together to the end in various languages and i thought that was yes. just really sweet because the, the hyenas are like uh i believe they're called half senegalese half central Afrique. And like uh, that's yeah, it's it's they're a multicultural group of mercenaries, and they 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 found love across Just like cultures. This that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but so- I need to get more Versace. <laughs> <laughs> Sh- 
Shaka and I would go out to uh, try and find more hearing protection for the others using Minwi's Walkman. Before they do that, and of course, because I was deaf that, mute. Yeah, before they do that, though, mm. Awa asks Shaka to give him the, to give her the Remington gun, and and Shaka refuses to yes, let it go. Yeah. He refuses to let go the symbol of just generational violence, political violence that he t- he. He stole <laughs> from Omar, which I thought was beautiful. Of like, because because it, it, I like the relationship between uh, Shaka and Awa, especially because people kind of treat her shittily, but like Shaka is the only one that actually puts hands on her. He's the most aggressive towards her. He's and like if you view it as her being a the, she seems like the youngest character in the film, right? And she definitely is is the most. Uh, she looks up to the hyenas the most as. Maybe the child soldiers looked up to Omar, and then uh, we sh- we see that the that Shaka, who again his whole mission is, uh, it's implied to try not to become like Omar. He treats her a little bit the way that Omar must have treated him as a child, you know. Again, though, I'm I'm saying uh, it's good to take revenge against people who, who <laughs> kidnap child soldiers. I mean, we also see that Shaka goes to the shack. I mean, sipping forward slightly, Shaka goes to a shack and it's like full of child soldiers and he sets them free, which is a good yeah. thing. That's a good part of his revenge. That's a great thing. Um, yes. I'm once but again saying is. revenge is good. It's good to take revenge. It's good to kill people the, who take child soldiers. W- w- watching movie that begins and ends with the narrator going, revenge will drown you. Revenge seems pretty based, actually. I mean, it's a net good in this film. It doesn't work out that good for Shaka, but it, it helps a lot of people. Is, so in the I, in the sense of like okay, but like this is about child soldiers, right? We're wondering how do, how are child soldiers produced? And it's yes, there's lots of different reasons, but in all the conflicts listed, a lot of the times both sides are using child soldiers. It's this thing of yes, obviously being child soldiers is good, but what are you doing about the conditions that keep producing them? Because Chaka just becomes Omar. If Chaka just becomes Omar, there's going to be another conflict where he's going to have to justify the usage of child soldiers because everyone else has died or they're just the easiest to control. You know what I mean? There's, there's a point later on where after, after the reveal of the child soldiers, which I, I, I'll talk about here a little bit, which is you, 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 you can tell, first of all, the absolute fucking weight that this has. Uh, to Chaka because he's very clearly been plotting his revenge for years and he's been biding his time because he thought Omar was like had stopped and had like settled down and the moment he gets in that room he realizes that this has been going on the entire time that he's been waiting and it's like so heavy to him that like Suleiman even like the cop that he's just sort of unveiled in this like genuinely reaches out to comfort him in that moment um, and the second thing is that the th- it's a child soldier conflict, right? Because Omar Omar was a man who used child soldiers and now he's sort of quote unquote retired and he's still using child soldiers. He's still using children as the currency to keep the peace with the Bainuk king. Um, and that using child soldiers is sort of like a, oh, we're not, we're not happy to do this, but it does like, it's a means to an end of keeping peace is exactly how he would have justified it. 
back when he was using it in like a physical conflict. It's the same thing over and over. It's also it it it's the way you get out of a war crimes prosecution whenever uh, <laughs> like the US comes to your country and sets up an international no, exactly. criminal tribunal is to be like I, listen I'm putting my child soldier army on the path to peace <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of exactly thing. it's I mean, I I do I do get sort of the vibes off of Omar to me are pure Charles Taylor Joseph Cohen, mm-hmm. oh, right? Definitely. Uh, and but, but you know, there's there, there's a lot of guys like that who did not become as famous, um, and you know, kind of did largely get away with it. And General, so I think naked. it's compelling to be like, no, not this one. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I very much am a general butt naked. Who's a fucking priest now? He's a priest. After all, he literal cannibal. Mm-hmm. He, like a literal cannibal. Which, okay, I guess Catholicism and, and Christianity being about eating Jesus also. Okay, I, I see. I <laughs> yeah, see, the, the, I this see. is my body. This is my blood. I see why, very very yeah. familiar territory yeah, already. I see, I see why a cannibal would have been like, oh, okay, I, I, like, this is the religion for me. But, it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I get this. Yeah. Learning about yeah. Catholicism being like, yo, okay, all right. Yeah. I've got <laughs> Entire life cool, is, is, is like eat, eating other people and abusing children. You're telling me that guy became a priest? <laughs> uh, I must really be disappointed if he'd been a real cannibal. He's just getting the wafer. He's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I was promised flesh. Right? Exactly. There's the blood. This is just okay, wine. So- like spitting it out. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I uh let me get my composure fuck. It's funny. The the I also thought one of the inspirations for the character of Omar is uh, a figure common to Senegalese, the Senegalese practice of Islam. In Senegal, the major version of Islam is uh mm. is Sufism actually. Uh and where the, there's a bunch of Sufi brotherhoods, like the Murids and, and the Baifals and all that. And uh, one big mm. way that manifests in, in Senegal is uh, through the figure of a of a marabou of like a who's like a Muslim spiritual leader and specifically along the Sufi tradition usually like a, a sheikh or something. Sure. And usually how this which is and and Sufism is like very hereditary and sort yes, of like yes. quite isolated into branches as well yeah. too. Yes, yes. The, the the version in Senegal has uh, relations with the version in North Africa, for example. But the, the figure of the marabou has students underneath him. The word used is talibé, and it literally means like seeker, student. And how this works is the d- parents are supposed to give their children to the talibé for Muslim education and just general education too. But uh, unlike the, the, the talibé, specifically promise the the marabou specifically promises to the talibé and the talibé's family that they will give them protection security and they'll help facilitate their way into paradise which are all things that uh shaka says omar promised the children the, the child soldiers and it becomes a, it becomes a parallel there of like where 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 we're not only looking at child soldiers but i think herbilo is making a parallel between the plight of child soldiers and that of the Taliban who are actually subject to quite a bit of abuse from their marabou because the marabou asks them to go work for them, to beg for them, uh, and that the marabou will, for instance, uh, do their daily, five daily prayers for the children so the children have more time to go beg. But uh, there's also, in Senegal, there's the constant discussion about 
the just the sexual abuse that you imagine would happen in this kind of situation where children just aren't protected enough, you know? And actually, the narration that introduces the region says it's, you know, it's the land of the great Marabou. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, it, make, it, makes, it makes sense. Right. But So, at this point, Shaka goes back to Salaman to be like, hey, do more exposition. Explain, <laughs> explain what the deal is with this. Because mm-hmm. um, there's all those so, spirits running around outside. Oh, yeah, actually, the spirits running around. Oh, outside, I wanted but... to talk about that too. There's a this. Okay, first we need to introduce the spirits. That's a, that I actually had trouble with because uh, what they are are they look to me like kankurang, which is a more a Mandinka tradition. But the Bainuk were influenced by the Mandinka culture because of the Mandinka expansion into their regions, of course. So the kankurang, there these are. Uh, functions in West in Mandinka, Mandinka and West African cultures, because they're just masquerades and a bunch of West African cultures have masquerades. And their function is protective. Specifically, they protect new brides, newborns, and uh, newly circumcised young boys from witches and malevolent, malevolent spirits attracted to the blood that's usually part of these rituals and whatnot. And they are their their design is uh, like my my father uh, was a kankurang for a bit as a child, as a young man. Sorry, and uh, they're based off of the a, a tree. Like they get a bunch of fibers from a tree, and the fibers are usually orange. And then you sh- and shroud yourself in it, and you walk around with swords or just, and dancing. And there's a a drum. They're drummers that follow you around. They're the helpers of the kankurang, and I thought that was a fascinating decision to make these kankurangs into the the monsters of the film because they do fulfill their function at no point do we see them actually harm little boys right but also the the way they the way they move because i've seen a lot of kankurangs up close and the way they move is their legs are always moving so it looks a little bit like they're flying like that's the belief that they, they can leap over the river and all that kind of stuff and I just love the way they're designed because of that. Because it's a bit of a perversion of it. Because it, if it's meant to be a real kankurang, it should be orange. But it's like shrouded in death, in, in, in like just black fibers. It looks more like flies than the fibers of a tree or anything. And I just, I love yeah, the... It's really compelling. Yeah. And there's this long shot, especially where uh, a lot... It's not... I don't think it's actually a continuous shot properly, but it's edited to look that way, where the only th- sound is the soundtrack of the talking drum and just the gender... I was going to say, drums you mentioned comp- the drums just now. I want to yeah, talk about <laughs> yeah. the talking drum, because that comes in hard yeah. at the point where like it, it swaps oh, yeah. the spiritual so the, sort of so the, half so of the, the film. The talking drum. The talking mm-hmm. drum, the tema, is a, is a drum where... Uh, it's percussion that you can change the pitch of the beats where like uh, usually they it's a drum that you can squeeze and they hold it in the in the crook of their shoulder and then squeeze into it and it'll, it'll, the notes will change pitch so that it actually ends up sounding like a uh, human speech like uh, I yeah, I think the, the first time a lot of Western viewers must have come across it is in the Wakanda soundtrack by Ludwig Goransson, who actually goes, he went to Senegal and like just hired Senegalese um, musicians like Baba Mal. And they have a, their uh, late motif for uh, the king in that film, T'Challa, uh, T'Challa sorry, is T'Challa. So it, uh, you hear that, da-da-da, you hear that a lot in the Black Panther film. And you hear that a bunch in this. Oh, that's l- what that was. Exactly. You hear that a lot in this long fucking 
scene of them trying to avoid these kankurang. And and that's actually a thing, like when in, in the kankurang rituals that I've been a part of, of the celebrations and whatnot, the, the kankurang will like go after you. Like they will chase after you. You're, so meant, you're meant to like evade them, actually. It's a lot of fun. And Sherbilo, being as brilliant as he is, recognizes that, yes, that's a cultural practice, but it's also ludic. That's, there's a gameplay element to that. I remember as a kid running away from these being like, ah, the Kankurang's going to get me. Like, it's just... And, yeah, and I remember pro- thinking this sequence is like quite video gamey, that these, exactly. these spirits are on like patrol paths. They are, they are. Exactly. Exactly. I get you got so much more out of it than I did because my notes at this point say if they are spirits, how come you can kill them with a knife? Because <laughs> well, they kind of aren't. The, I understood this to be that the spirits are sort of like riding the guys from the village yes, that we that's... saw earlier, mm-hmm. and that there's, there's, there is a there person is... under there in the same way that there would be a masquerade. There, there is a more specific type of masquerade called the Ifang Bondi, which uh, that kind of translates to to remove oneself from. So like that the idea that you've removed your humanity and you've become the Ifang Bondi. So that that kinda translates to the idea of riding of spirits riding humans, right? So because mm. like uh, when I hear the word riding a uh, spirit riding a human, I think voodoo, I think voodoo, I think like uh all that kind mm-hmm. of the the lowers and all that shit. And it's not exactly that, but the, I do see the parallel actually. I never thought about that. Yeah, sure. So, so Shaka goes back to to Salaman's like explain. <laughs> yeah, explain he walks into happening. that building like everyone else is sort of like getting their breath, and he just like walks in immediately punches Salaman like, no, no, buddy, buddy, <laughs> we've not been given the full fucking story here. Yeah, and and Salaman doesn't give him the full story either. He he now, here's he, something. Uh, during because- his, here's something that I found to be all right. Suleiman, first of all, the cop, love him dearly. He's so fucking good. The second everything like changes gear, he has the most phenomenal vibes throughout. Um, mm. But what happens is when Chaka walks in and like punches the fuck out of Salaman, Rafa steps forward to try to stop him, and Suleiman is the one to stop Rafa. Yeah, that's funny. Which yeah, I found to be because he's just seen what they he's just seen yeah. the room yes. of childhood. Yeah. Like, no, this guy should be cops killed like, again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the cop, cop man after my own heart. Like, yeah, cool. It's good that this man dies. Yeah. So, so, so Chaka like uh, correctly. As it turns out, says, "Listen, there's there's no way this this magical shit is happening just because he wanted to run a hotel, <laughs> right? He wanted he wanted something more out of this than like a, a, a what super do you think was going a on behind the scenes in Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so many Charles <laughs> Fuegos was like, I have given up on on hope and life. Look, if you want to uh, go toe to toe with Paris Hilton, you've got to have a spiritual army. That's true. <laughs> you need and, the fucking and, and Salaman is like, yeah, of." Of, of course there was some shit going on. He was making a deal with the entity. What is the entity? We never find out. Okay, I love that. Okay, because I've actually been, like, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned, but, like, my mother's from the Salum region, Salum region, and, like, when I've been in Senegal, people have just randomly, like, baptized me. Like, I, I, like I'm not even kidding. Someone... <laughs> 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 some dude just I was I was just chilling with an uncle and one of his friends came over threw some liquid at my face and was like I've baptized you and I was like okay okay <laughs> like what religion are you <laughs> sorry hey, hey, hey man sorry I, I had to do this because yeah. of the entity yeah. and, and like no like legitimately like it's a thing of there is some secretive element to the way that I've seen 
the supernatural approached in in Senegal because uh, quite a few people are believers in in marabouts of in going to people to intermediaries between between you and your and your god or whatever of like going like we getting at people you'll see a lot of people wearing amulets that that are somewhat hidden you'll see a lot of people wearing protective garbs you we people believe in jinn it's a thing and i thought this this the entire approach where like it's it's oblique it's an indirect approach to the what should be what other films might have directly explained like yeah you're right this it's just the entity that is extremely fucking vague i do not know what that means but i also have been having been in senegal cannot fully say that i fully understand <laughs> what uh, the spirituality <laughs> that people are expressing cuz cuz it's just have a, just have a guy yeah it's it's just i don't know why that guy did that i don't know if i'm fucking cursed or not but like, like <laughs> <laughs> i don't think so i think it's fine <laughs> like uh, baptism's usually good let's hope i think i'm um, i have no idea what happened there right. hey mark <laughs> exactly. of a good Inshallah. movie by the way, Mark of a good movie. We have just spoken about it for longer than the runtime. Oh, we fuck. just passed it one hour <laughs> that's, twenty-four. That's another thing, listeners. It's just—it's like an eighty-minute film. It's perfect. When was the last time it's you watched? Tight. Tight, it's a tight it's ninety. Really yeah, it's great. It's great. So, so, so at this point, Salomon deploys his pocket sand. He's been saving this the whole time. <laughs> it was very funny that he used the pocket sand, but he gets away. Uh, then, summarizing slightly for the sake of time, the cop gets got. Um, yeah, he tries. Like Salomon almost gets away, but the child soldiers uh, kill him. And yeah, they like tear him apart limb yeah, from limb. Chaka smiles. My notes say, "Cool, sick, good. Revenge rules." Yeah, yeah. This this is a big. This is the movie giving a thumbs up to revenge within that context of yeah. No, if you if you train child soldiers, the child soldiers are going to kill you. That's much of a muchness with the with Shaka. Um, at, at this point, we go back to Minwi and Awa. Who, yeah, nobody gets on them about like, oh, what if if you kill him, you'll become him? It's like, no, <laughs> fuck him. Yeah, I think it's, I think but, it's but a so benefit of time, you know. Yeah, and the, also their children. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it's the, fine they, they for go, children to murder people. Oh, God, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, that's the, legal. They, they, that's they been go, made legal. Right. <laughs> I didn't realize there was a statute of limitations. Child soldiers. <laughs> it's like, it's oh, legal what? to fucking frag a commanding officer. It's legal. Yeah, that's fine. They go, it's fine. They, they, they go and check in on, on Yuntz and Sephira. I love this bit where Minwi opens the door, he sees two of the fucking giant spirits on top of Yuntz, tearing him apart. Yuntz goes, help me, Mr. Minwi. Minwi just closes <laughs> <laughs> the door on him. He's like, nope. This is a bit much for me. Sorry. Sorry. I'm magic, <laughs> um, but I'm not that magic. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Sephira runs out and we get some, some horrifying eye trauma, which I always love to see in a movie. Um, you know, it, a botched laser eye surgery. Awa has to, like, comfort her. Sephira has, like, uh, by virtue of, like, seeing them devour Yunus, has, like, lost her sight and then she dies in her arms too. Which is a good point for me, I think, to very briefly talk about Final Girls and about how, like, Generally speaking, in, in in Western horror, you would expect the lighter-skinned woman in this sequence to be the one who survives and makes it to the end, and the darker-skinned one to get tragically killed in a way that we all feel very bad about. So this is a nice reversal, you know? It's especially because our like... Awa is is more vulnerable as a, a mutant deaf woman. You would in in a lot of films, she would have died. Like it, it would, she, they would have exploited her disability, and she would have died. You know, 
I, ha- I have another thought about disability, which is coming along in a second. But uh, so Shaka and Rafa get back to the camp where they find that Minwi has held every single spirit sort of like to himself. He has like got them in a clinch, spiritually speaking. And he's just sitting like perfectly still cross-legged under a tree with like all of these like swirling above his head. It's a really it's striking really shot. Well yeah. done. And, and Shaka like sees this. About your fucking right. Yeah. yeah. It's underneath a bow symbolism, and and previously we had seen that uh, we had seen like bones, possibly re- leading back. Like these were probably the sacrificed children's bones, right next to another baobab, surrounded by these fly-looking creatures. And it's and it's like this thing of and a big thing I re- picked up from the film was this is a perversion of spirituality, like because uh, in in actually West African cultures a lot of them are Muslim and Muslims don't necessarily believe in ghosts. Usually, our big spiritual thing uh, from is, is is jinn actually, right? But like this and Atlantics by uh, another job who I believe her name is Mati Job the director there of that film, which also features the Senegalese version of the supernatural, introduces more the concept of ghosts, of something, of, of haunting, which I was fascinated by. It's a, it's a completely modern thing to introduce to, not, not, necessarily, not necessarily to introduce the Senegalese cinema, but to adapt this, uh, to adapt our spirituality and the an understanding of the supernatural to a more international understanding where like obviously Avilo must have watched a bunch of westerns that dealt with ghosts and whatnot you know sure yeah i mean it make, makes me think of uh, like high plains drifter is the other movie that i wanted to reference in this uh which is uh Again, literally, your your legacy of violence. It is your your marshal who has been killed returns to avenge himself, to avenge his own death. Um, yeah, the so headless Thompson Shaka, gunner, etc. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that is that is that is literally an African yeah, ghost story. Yeah, I didn't throw that out. Um, yeah, no, that's but... literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they like uh, Warren Zivon mentions fucking Biafra there actually. So, so Shaka and Rafa are, are forced to to kill Minwi though, uh, in order to make their escape, and it's this huge emotional moment. We get the the second instance of like a character screaming being replaced with a musical sting. At what's this good? Point. What's What's also um, really good? Yeah, and what I what I loved was that Minwi is concentrating very hard. He's holding these spirits, and he talks to the two of them in sign language, and the fact that. We've got a movie where, like, four of the main characters, the four main characters, all speak sign language, just sort of like as, and it's not important. It's just a thing that they can all do. It's it's just lovely. I really, really like that. Yeah. And by the way, he he his last line is uh, he he points to them both and he's like, "See you soon," which I like. Uh, but both as a piece of like action movie dialogue, but also uh, spiritually. Um, so at this point. They still have to flee. They still have to like. They, they've gotten the fuel. Yeah, they've gotten the resin. At this point, I'm like, okay. What? So like, the rules of his magic weren't like really explained. I didn't really know how he did that. And like, I'm like, if this worked, then why did they have to run? But they because it they, didn't. Because he 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 uh, he does try to trap the spirits inside of him. But the film does keep going back and back again to the idea of you're not meant to keep things inside of you, like. <laughs> The, especially like you know like and it's like Minui d- tries his best he's just saving them time 
Solomon at the beginning, they, uh, Shaka asks him, how do, how do we fight these things? He's like, you, you don't. Yeah. You, you run. Um, right. which, which I like. Um, but so the, the, Also, knives. They've got to get in the boat. And, of course, the, the, the fear of water, which now sort of becomes more obvious that this is, this is not a fear. This is not a sort of an anxiety response. This is a spiritual response exactly. that you're having exactly. to getting on the water. Um, but what I like is R- Rafa's like grab shark and he literally tells him, "Brother, you're going in the boat." <laughs> and I, honestly, honestly, if 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 I travelled like that, I think I would probably be a bit better about travelling. Uh, but what the thing the thing that I like about this right is this is a disability. This is an impediment. Yes. Right. In in this case, it's it's like a a spiritual debt that we're about to see. But he gets in the boat. He is shaking. He is totally incapacitated. In, I think, in a Western movie, this would be the moment where you like, oh, you have to like conquer your fear in this moment. You have to like get over it. And he fucking doesn't. His yeah. friends have to accommodate this thing that he cannot do by like physically moving him. It's, I really like yeah, that. that. Was a nice I really like that, like, you let a heroic character be vulnerable. Yeah, Awa wraps him in the little trauma blanket and then just holds him. And how and I I was like yeah, emotional at this point. I was just like, oh, because no, like genuinely, like the idea of him having like if he had manned up here, as people like to say, and gotten over his fear of 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 like water, it's like that wouldn't be emotionally as resonant to me because it's like what would what would he like? What is the reason that he is able to get over this? This is a man incapable of moving on. He literally came back to the one place he should not have come back. And that also would have impoverished his relationship with the other two characters. Exactly. And like, if it, like, because Chaka came back just to kill Remington, he did not know that the other boys were hostage there, you know? Mm-hmm. But as, as we've, if we've understood anything from the sort of the, the, the spiritual language of this film, you're not going to fucking row out of this situation. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would. I would simply row out. Revenge is a river. I would simply <laughs> row that river. <laughs> I would simply not drown. Yeah. yeah. All right, Peter Chaka, but I'm different. <laughs> it's it is it does what like supernatural horror or or terror, of course, in this case is is supposed to add to it, which is like it's a fundamentally extremely human story that utilizes the supernatural mm. to drive home the themes. And the theme, I'm afraid, for my man, Mister Chaka, is don't fucking do that. Um, <laughs> vengeance, vengeance is a river Vengeance is circular And it's, the only way to get yes. to the bottom of it is when you fucking drown And they're on a river right now We, 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 see, we see Finally the flashback In full, which is He is a child, he escapes into the river With this pistol And the river takes him Like hands come up from the river and take him And the sort of the implication Is, I believe pretty unambiguously That the deal that he has made For his like for his freedom For his escape uh, is, is his vengeance Right, that he is going to come back And he is going to kill Omar um, And guess who's back Omar, flaming eyes At this point clearly dead tries to get in the boat and is like yeah no you're you're fucking coming with me because uh, yes. omar's gone you're him exactly. now exactly um y- oh, it's it's buddy that's a fucking cinema <laughs> and it's and you have to yes, and you have yes, to remember genuinely. you have to remember that uh i i throughout the entire film after uh, other than the t- the time he 
takes him off to reveal that he has R branded onto the backs of his hands. Chaka is always wearing this glove, right? Even after even after the people who love him finally know this deep traumatic thing that's been holding him back this entire time, he still feels the need to hide. And we're told that at the beginning of the film that hiding is going to get you killed, right? Because we also see that Shaka, as a boy, when Shaka walks into the river, he walks in with, in his left hand, he's wearing chains, he's holding chains, and in the right hand, the Remington, right? So it's this little, I thought like when, when Alice brought up the idea of this deal that this ambiguous deal made between the spirits and Chaka as a young boy of like, we will give you liberty, your freedom, but here's your vengeance. Do not come back here. You know what, ha- you know what will happen if you try to get revenge. And Chaka just fucks that up. I love it. Well, he doesn't really have a choice is the thing. Yeah. Like the, the way, the way the narration frames it is, oh, yeah. uh, uh, revenge is like a river, but there's there's a line that I didn't mention, which is our actions are like the the canoes that are like being you know moved by the current, um, and his he, you know his, his actions aren't really his own. He has to fulfill this thing. Uh, it's 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 because curses, man. They'll fucking and when get he, you. He finally uh, he gets it, pulled into the river by by this entity, um, and he's like reaching out our grabs his hand, but because he's still wearing the gloves, like you mentioned, because he refuses to finally like accept this, it's he just slips out of her hand. And that's the fucking film. No, not exactly. There's there's mm. and which I was so perplexed by. Because Go on, hit the, me with the final shot. <laughs> the, the the last the last shot I think weakens the the message because I think it's an import of your your Western fairy tale thing of like Curses easily defeated by simply being pure of heart. He he sacrifices himself. Right. What happens is uh, a, a wave of the sort of the, the the particles of these spirits like wash over them, and the fuck it. He changes the movie's color grading. It goes like back to being the like. <laughs> It, it's actually the first time that we see the river in as like vibrant color as it actually is. It's always been kind of muted and like grayed and yellowed throughout the whole movie. And this is the first time we see it in full color. We see Rafa and Awa in full color in sunlight, in daylight, instead of with like artificial lighting. Um, and it's used really strikingly. But I tend to interpret that as the curse is now lifted because Shaka has like sacrificed himself and he is pure of heart and you know revenge is a good thing and all of this other stuff. I think that kind of like ruins the message a little bit. I think it's it's better, it's stronger if the message is, yeah, revenge doesn't end and it just it, it continues and the curses aren't separable from the land and the land isn't separable from the people or its history and it it's all just going down to the same place. I like that better. I would have honestly preferred if it had ended right when Awa screams, but her uh, voice is replaced by the musical sting, as you said. I, I thought that would have been a perfect ending for the film. Not any of the... Because Shaka's just died. We've just seen like this entire... like It's very obvious that Shaka is going to die trying to get revenge. That happens, and then we see the sad moment, and then it ends. I, would, I thought that would have been more... Yeah, it would have been stronger. Oh, it's probably why I mentally forgot about the last shot. <laughs> I was like, this is a good film. Done. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it 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 is no, a good film. I I have those are my couple of criticisms of it, but in general, 
I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm not really a huge horror movie person, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm still saying that revenge is good. Like, it's good, actually. It's good to kill people <laughs> who, who keep child soldiers. It's good that the child soldiers killed him. Um, I yes, am sad that Chaka died. It comes at cause... a cost. Uh, there is... No. Well, no, they're, they're, no, because seriously, if, if you think about, like, have you ever considered that someone who uses child soldiers perhaps was a child soldier themselves at one point? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's... I, I think the position that the movie takes isn't that revenge is a bad thing, or that like I think it takes the position that revenge incurs a debt. Exactly, right? exactly. And maybe that debt is worth paying, but you have to do it, and the debt is always really quite severe. Um, which is it's, it's a good theme. I like an it. eye for like an eye is fucking sick. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have two. When eyes, you go in of revenge, take two graves. One for the person you're going to kill, and what is a spare as a backup? Yeah, free bonus grave. Yeah. It's a secret grave for a thing we'll I'm need kill later. Way more than two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, do we have any sort of like closing thoughts about about Saul as a movie? I have so many. I have questions. It, it is really well made, like as a piece of film, and like I, 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 I was sadly not the ideal audience, but like as Scenes, shots, music, loved it. Mm. Mm-hmm. I I need it's missing the point so much, but I need the high unit. <laughs> yeah, no, I need it. No, like, like, yeah, right, right, <laughs> like immediately. Like even even just like, there's a bit of a hint that Rafa and Awa will become like the new hyenas because she makes it explicitly clear that she wants to become one of them. And I would I would even yeah. take a sequel. I would even take a sequel with just Rafa and Awa oh, and like I, I don't know. Fuck, they they go fix the Gambia or some shit. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, they take revenge. <laughs> Which is cool. To, to specify, that would be against you people in this case. If we're fixing the yeah, Gambia, of course. we're taking revenge. Oh, naturally, please, God. I, I watched Triple R and I loved it. Uh, please take revenge yeah. against the well, whites. We, we, we welcome all acts of anti-colonial resistance. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been an absolute fucking treat. Uh, ML, if the people Genuinely. want more of you, where can they find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter as Kijera L. That's K E J E R A and the letter L. Uh, I I'm very I'm very I'm one of those writers who I have a bunch of stuff published, but I'm too lazy to set up a website. Just if you're interested in my writing, I write a bunch about the cultures we've discussed here, uh, particularly in my fiction. Just Google my name, you'll find some shit. Uh, but what you should especially check out, uh, particularly if you watch the film and you're wondering what are they eating during these dinner scenes, is you should check out my mother's. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you should check out my mother's my mother's YouTube channel, um, De Tida's Kitchen. That's De N D E Y Tida T I D A, and you know you, you should probably know how to spell kitchen, and. Um, the the meal that I would not I would not overestimate <laughs> I'll, I'll link these in the description. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. And the 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 meal they eat in the first dinner scene is chu, T H I O U, but pronounced like chu. Uh, and it's like a sauce dish with rice. My mother has a version of it with, uh, I believe, fish balls that you should check out on her YouTube channel. Yeah, this is this is now a cooking show. You can cook along with Kill James. Yeah, Wild. yeah. Uh, yeah, so so do all of that. Thank you for subscribing to the Patreon or not subscribing to the Patreon because this one's free because of the uh, the winter of content. But 
If you're not, maybe consider it. Maybe do that. Maybe do a lot of things. In the meantime, we will be back with a very special Halloween episode. Mm, I've I've done a double dip. I've I've made a choice this time. You have. You made an executive decision that we're gonna do. Not the movie Executive Decision. That's coming later. We're doing a little movie called Jennifer's Body. So fuck yes, excited for that. It's so it's so good. <laughs> Literally, Avi just posted in the group chat. Yo, we should do Jennifer's Body at some point. And then, like four hours later, sold. I was like, sold. Do you want to do a, a Halloween special? And she was like, Yeah, Jennifer's Body. And I'm like, Oh yeah, of course, done. Sorted. <laughs> <laughs> nice and easy. Asked and answered. Yes. Right, well, I'm going to well, go and dig a bunch of graves. Um, and, <laughs> I'm going to uh, buy some more Versace. Some revenge. Uh, see you, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bye, everyone. I've got this big gun that I need to go and shoot a man with. Um, <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Cerebral Zone as we discuss a movie that's actually good. And, and we're not going to fucking stop anytime soon because the next movie is also a pure force banger, Jennifer's Body. That is right. And then following that, we will be doing another Q&A because it has been a second. It's been a hot second. Uh, as, of course, this is the winter of content. Uh, you can listen to all of these episodes for zero pounds and zero cents, zero dollars uh, and zero kronen. <laughs> but if you have spares of any of this kind of currency, in the description of this episode will be a number of charities and strike funds that you can toss some dollars towards. I am going to be posting this episode while I'm in London on holiday, so I won't have access to my computer to update you on ballots. So for God's sake, if you are in a union, just go ahead and double check that you don't have a ballot coming up. Um, because we would hate to be given the opportunity to say, yes, I want to strike and forget to do it because strikes are sick and cool. Of course, you don't have to be a patron, but if you are and you bet us 15 pounds or more, you can join these hallowed halls. Christine Fox, Amanda Comet, Forks Winchester, Gustavo Lira, Jack Holmes, Paint McCarla, George Rohak, Thomas Oberhardt, Nick Boris, Yarek Natamori, Coconut Crab, Corios, Benno Rice, Kit Devine, Library Hitman, Beef Crime, Callan Burney, Jonathan Gurday, Jack Drummond, Max Gamenhart, Kentucky Fried Commie, Hell Blood Hands, Jay Martindale, Tarp O, Lysame, once again, I'm not going to check how to pronounce that one. Jonathan Siegel, <laughs> Big Titty Golf Girl. I think if I say it a different way every time, eventually one of them will be right. Uh, Mothman, thank you. Ellen Perlberg, Harrison Fuller, Trip, Commissar Jen, Sydney Steckel, Tiger Otaku, Charlie Out of a Closet, Pauline, Will You Marry Jenna? Checking in with you again. Uh, Danny Potter, Turfs Eat Shit and Die Alone, Zoe Shepard, Elizabeth Cox, Finn Ross, Emily Had a Breakdown and Forgot to Change Its Name for a Few Weeks. This, of course, in reference to the username Emily. Thought this was about short owls, which was in reference to Hedwig and the Angry Inch, but uh, didn't get in in time. I hope it is doing a little bit better. Friend of the show, Alfredo Quinvaleri. I make Devon say this out loud. Wolfie, Big Old Boy, Ryle Leal, Al Owing, Lucy Keeley, Josh Simmons, Lauren Baston, Millie, and Bon Le Bon. Kill James Bond is, of course, Alice, Abigail, and Devon. Our producer is the wonderful Nate Bethay. Our podcast art is by Maddie Lubchansky. And our website is by Tom Allen. <laughs>